Well, the children are dismissed for Sunday school. You can follow, looks like Adam and Summer back there. The Catholic congregation leaves. And we are, um, as Pastor Eric has, has taken really the month of July um, off to be away with his family for a little rest, uh, we, and we've been privileged to hear from, from a handful of guest preachers, and today we have the great privilege of hearing from, from Bill Shannon. He is a pastor and elder at Grace Community Church in Southern California and, and has been on staff there since 1989, that's correct. Um, he oversees the biblical counseling ministry there at Grace and teaches classes and is really involved in the ministry there. He's been teaching and really ministering all over the country and all over the world. He is married to his wife, Donna, who many of you ladies have, um, have had the privilege of hearing from for at least uh, several times coming up and teaching at our ladies' conferences in the past. Uh, they have two daughters and five granddaughters. And again, we are privileged to have Bill with us here this morning. Please come and preach the word. Thank you, Matt. Notice my wife has been up here several times. This is my first, but it's a privilege to be here. And uh, since I am um, preaching for Eric, I do have a story to tell about Eric and Leslie. Uh, I am over the counseling department, and um, I have this brand new seminary couple that wants to come in and see me uh, for a counseling session, and it's Eric and Leslie. And I'm going, okay, what's the problem when they come in the room? And they said, well, we don't have one, but we want to make sure whatever is going to happen in seminar, we're ready for. So can you tell us what's going to happen? Uh, so they didn't have a problem, but they wanted to be prepared for that problem. Folks, that's thinking through life well, making sure that you're prepared to uh, take the different trials that you may have. And there could be many in seminary, and I pointed them out to them, uh, excess of hours of, of uh, non-sleep. I, I said some seminary students actually say seminary should actually be cemetery. So you just get an idea. That's what it's like when you go to seminary. Uh, they put you through the rigors of uh, study. But we're here today, and we're going to look at this message on suffering with grace. So with that in mind, I want you to uh, think about this as we pray. Father, Yes, there is suffering in this world. There's suffering of incalculable kinds, Lord. There, there are situations that are heart-wrenching. Lord God, we pray as we at times suffer like that, as we are distressed by things like that, that you would give us the grace, you would give us the opportunity, Lord, to show faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to depend upon him. So today as I speak, Lord, I pray that People would put this in their heart and their minds as things come their way to be prepared for this in their life. We pray this in your name. Amen. When it comes to suffering, we all have our stories. We could all probably go around and, and talk for hours and hours and hours of the stories that we have. Maybe even tragedies that have happened in our life. Um, maybe different situations that cause us to often reflect about it, often dream about those things. We might even want to say this, I'm a Christian, why is this happening to me? Gave my life to Christ, why is he doing this to me? Those distresses sometimes bring us to that point. But the one uniting message in suffering is that God is sufficient. No matter what the suffering is, God will be sufficient for all situations. No matter what the circumstance, he's there. He's there for you. Whether it's personal, whether it's career, whether it's uh, um, financial, whatever it is, <clears throat> and maybe even church-related. As someone who has been involved in counseling for over 30 years, there are times when one's heart is actually broken when you hear the stories that are brought to you. You're brought to the very edge, to the very point of breaking. As a counselor, I sometimes deal with some of the most difficult of situations, some of the most distressing of situations, some of the most heart-stopping and, and hurting circumstances, heart-wrenching even. It's like this time when I'm going to change the name so that you, even if you knew some folks back in uh, 
California wouldn't know who they are. It's like when Mary came in. That's the name changed. Uh, she came in with Doris. Also, the name has changed. Mary is a member of the church. But she's bringing her friend in. Her friend is trying to figure out why God would kill her baby. Why would her baby die one day after it was born? It was healthy in the hospital, doing fine. But why would God do that? She was confused. She was conflicted. She was fraught with emotion. It was, it was very heart-wrenching. Her heart was breaking. She was crushed. As the situation was developing, I could, I could sense that this is probably going to be the only time I get to speak with her. She's not from in town. And, and she's not even a churchgoer. So I have this idea that I may never get to see her again. But she's genuinely distraught and I'm a counselor. I'm in God's place to try to help this woman think through this issue. And I want her to think about it the best way possible. Uh, I, I could sort of put my hand over and oh, God didn't mean to do this. Or, but God did do it. We could do that. When I teach our counseling class at Grace Community Church, I ask my students there to not rely just on Romans 8.28 that God causes all things to be good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Just don't pound out that verse on someone when you don't even understand what their situation is. But friends, that is God's truth. That is what God says. And I, I believe God's word down to the very, very jot and tittle. I believe God's word. I know it and and the counseling needs to experience that God is in control of these things. He's truly involved in their life. I believe every Holy Spirit-inspired word of that truth. How can that be a blessing for someone who is not a believer? How can that be an encouragement when the situation was brought, maybe because of sin, whatever it may be? How can that be a comfort for a fellow human being? stressed by the trials of life. Folks, what else could we give them? What else could we summon from uh, our background of Bible scripture uh, to this situation, to that life experience? I, I've never had that life experience. I can't tell them about how that may have happened to me. I have seen it for other people. But even there, that's not a life situation that's going to help them. Could I say James 1, 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Can I say that to them? Put a happy face on it. Can we do that with our trials? They're real. They're hurting us. We're, in, we're encountering something that we've never encountered before. Can I just slap that happy face on there? Folks, whether it's a life experience or not, whether it's losing a a child or not, there's very little that you can bring to that. My friends, the only thing I could say, I have absolutely no idea why God would do such a thing. But I know he did. I have to agree with God. That brings us to the question, does God tempt us though when he's bringing these things to us? Does he tempt us with those trials of life to make us sin? I don't believe that in the, in the least. Matter of fact, you read the scripture this morning. Thank you very much. James chapter 1 verse 13. It says, let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. Now that's different than testing. He does test. He tested uh, uh, Jacob, bring his son to sacrifice him. We have those kinds of things. He does test us. But he doesn't tempt us. At the same time, we should not try to apologize for God. I don't ever want to apologize for God and what happens. After 9-11, people were wanting us to apologize for God for letting that happen. No, he did that for a reason. He is in the good of life, for sure. But he's also in the tragedies. His, his fingerprints can be found in those tragedies. There are folks who came to Christ because of the tragedy in, in New York and Washington, D.C. Those things happened. My friends, we have the living word of God in front of us. I believe this to be the most compassionate book in the world. In there, we see tragedy over and over and over again. 
One of the greatest tragedies is God sending his own son to die for us. Why in the world would we send, we would see uh, uh, someone send their own son to die? Why? Because of our separation from God. We don't need to defend God, folks. We never need to defend God. His story is a message of hope. This book is a message of hope. In Acts 22, 22, and 23, we find out who really killed God's son. Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? No, it was God. And it says there, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by what? The predetermined plan of God. The foreknowledge of God. Folks, God sent his only begotten son for you to take away your sins. You see, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2.1. You had no way of getting to heaven, getting to know him. Completely dead. Not mostly dead, but all the way. Even to the point where it points out that we are enemies of God. That's who we were until he saved us. We do not deserve to be saved. There is not anything in us that's necessarily good or right or pretty or whatever that he would save us, but he does it anyway. You see, that's his plan. That's his plan even when it comes to a one-day-old baby. That's his plan when it comes to a 90-year-old man. It doesn't matter. I want you to hear this because there is no need to make apologies for God. He is sufficient for all grace and mercy. Over and over, we experience the loving kindness of God. We see it throughout displayed in the Old Testament. Over and over, he, he keeps calling the Jewish people back. He keeps calling the Jewish people back. Well, folks, that's the same thing today. He keeps calling us back to repent of our sins and to continue to follow him. That's the experience that we have. God loves all the way to the end, perfectly, completely. All the suffering that you may have, all the pain that you may have, all the stress that you may have, thank God for it. Because he's using that to continue to grow you to be the person of God that he wants you to be. Beloved, human wisdom did not help that lady. It was the word of God, the living word of God. God has given us his word and he has given us his spirit. His word is sufficient for all occasions, even that occasion. When you were saved, God gifted you, giving you everything pertaining to life and godliness. It says that in 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. When you were saved, you were blessed beyond what you can even understand today. When you were saved, you were given all of that. You can't even comprehend that. You can't comprehend the wisdom that he's given to us. It's a sacred wisdom that we know through the scriptures. God makes promises to us that he most certainly keeps. Another couple of scriptures that I want you to hear, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, which certainly tells us that we have been given everything in order to speak to the believer or the unbeliever. And there... Uh, Paul says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Five superlatives, all sufficiency in everything. Can you speak to a woman who's lost her child after one day? A healthy baby, seemingly healthy, healthy baby. Uh, a woman who's crushed? <laughs> it's a... Uh, Interesting that since I've been here, I've had something like that happen in my own Sunday school class. A woman gave birth. She wanted to know if I could do the funeral on August the 3rd. I'm not going to be back yet. But that actually happened. 
And that's not the first time that that has happened. The counsel from the unbelieving world would be, take care of yourself, make yourself feel better. Do whatever it is to build up your self-esteem. Get rid of the pain. That's what the world says. Does that really comfort anyone? No, they carry that throughout their whole life. That's something that's so elusive they can't hold on to it. When you were saved, you were promised eternal life. Not a life without issues. Not a life without pain. Not a life without tragedy. Not a life without suffering. Friends, the trials and the afflictions we experience are given as a grace from God. They're given as a grace from God, proving our unique relationship with him. We get to understand the workings of God through that. Just a few more verses. Verse Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith... See, as you go through the trial, it begins to prove your faith. The proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our Savior, our Lord, is about growing us. He's not about letting us stay where we are. He wants us to grow. He wants to see and understand his grace. He uses these things as instruments in his hand for his glory and for our good. Even the suffering you experience is used by God to grow you, to be even more dependent upon him because we have the tendency to be independent, independent of God. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7 says this, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. God used their trials as an example to others that they could stand for the Lord. Folks, I do believe that the, the tribulation that we're going to feel, that the, the rejection of Christians is coming. And it's coming fast down the road. Who's going to stand there and say, I'm a Christian? I'm going to stand for the Lord. Their tribulation became a grace to others. They were seeing how God accompanied them through their trials. Now there's one last, and by the way, we're still in the introduction. One last verse that I want to bring to your attention, and I'd like you to turn there, 2 Corinthians 1. I had a dear friend of mine ask me, as he was dying, and he was dying, he was dying of a, a, a liver disease, not alcoholism or anything like that, but his liver was dying, and he was asking me, could I please preach this for him at his funeral? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He didn't have comfort at that time. He had pain. He had suffering. His body was withering away because of what was going on in his liver. He was waiting on a list to have a liver transplant. It never came. One after another were rejected, rejected, rejected. But he had that hope. He said, but Bill, if I go, this is what I want you to do. What does God do, though? He who comforts us, this is verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The affliction, the tragedy, the pain, the suffering that you are experiencing today can be used for somebody else tomorrow. That God would use you in that way is incredible. But that's what he has done for us, given us those opportunities to be able to show others how we get through these kinds of things, how we continue to depend upon the Lord, how we know that his sufficient grace is there for us. Verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. That's who's going to comfort us. 
But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patience enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Folks, we may want to say, I don't deserve this. I don't want this. I hate this pain. I hate this tragedy. I hate having to go through this. I hate having to go to the doctor every week. I hate having to ask others to help me. All of those kinds of things. But God uses that. I can say in my own life, my first time going to a hospital visit, I hated going to hospitals, folks. I became a pastor and I thought, well, maybe I can get somebody to go for me. No, that's not the case. The pastor has to go. And there is this woman who was in my Sunday school class who was dying of cancer. And I had to go there. And I'm going to say I had to go there. I did not want to go there. And she's getting sick and the orderly is cleaning up her mess on the floor in her hospital room. And she's witnessing the gospel of Jesus Christ to him as I'm standing at the door. She doesn't know I'm there. That's the way to die. That's the way to see God's sufficient grace for you. That even in those things, you can use that. And she taught me a lesson there. I am not afraid to go to the hospital anymore, except when they keep me out from COVID. But nevertheless, I still want to go to see these folks. Now, folks, we got you at least in that chapter, 2 Corinthians. So why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You see, God has a purpose. God has a purpose and he will accomplish his good. That is what I could tell that lady. I I don't know why the baby died. I, I don't have a clue why he died. I mean, I could go through all kinds of scenarios. But I didn't make excuses for God. I said God had something to do with that. He has a purpose. It's a pure purpose. It's a holy purpose. It's a glorifying purpose. It's a purpose for our good. Why would you even come to a pastor and try to ask for the help unless your baby had died? John MacArthur, by the way, I have to quote him to keep my job. No, I don't. Just a joke. He said this, God has given to every believer abundant grace that is utterly sufficient to fulfill our deepest longings our most intense cravings, our most profound needs, every human requirement. He's there for us in everything. All of that is the introduction, but now we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. I'm going to read the whole thing to give us an idea of what this part of Scripture is telling us. Because Paul here is being afflicted. Paul here is being punished to some degree. Paul here has got this trial going on. And you know what? He gives us an idea of what we are to do. Even when we have a trial. And and I I think this is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And starting in verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says this. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. For this reason to keep me from exalting myself. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Folks, it doesn't matter what trial you're under. I I don't care what that trial is. God's grace is sufficient for you. Whatever the distress, whatever the suffering, whatever the uh, accusations, whatever it may be. Today, we're going to see and we're going to learn three steps from Paul here. Three steps through his life experience that the believer can conclude that God is good all the time. That God is sufficient. 
There are three steps. I'm going to call it a road to discovery, if you want to put it that way. If you're taking notes, the first step is this, the description of the trial. He does that in verse 7. He gives us a wonderful description of the trial. And he says this, just so we have it in our mind, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul explains to us, as humbly as he possibly can, that he has received revelations from God himself. That God has actually spoken to him. And he's trying to do it in, in the most uh, uh, humbly uh, uh, way that he possibly can. Can you imagine having a conversation with God? Well, folks, I, I can tell you, he does speak to you. Open your Bible every day. We had a vice president that was accused of uh, hearing from God every day. Well, he said, yeah, I do. He read his Bible every day. That was Mike Pence, if you're trying to figure out which vice president that was. You can speak to God, and he speaks to you, and he does it every day. But Paul here in chapter 12 is telling of his experience. And at the same time with this, this humble attitude that he's trying to get, uh, have, he's not wanting to boast about the experience, so he says this, to keep me from exalting myself. Folks, if you look at the verse... He says it twice. He wants to make sure you hear it. He wants to make sure that you know it. He wants you to make sure that he's not being prideful in bringing up that aspect of his life where God actually speaks to him. He wants no reason there to, for anybody to think that he's trying to boast of himself. To keep me from exalting myself, there was giving me a thorn in the flesh. You see, folks, when a person is prideful, they want to speak. When a person is humble, they want to listen. They want to learn. The thorn in the flesh there can also be translated this way as a stake. In those days, they used to have these um, pieces of wood about this long and about this thick and they used to drive them into their home in the ground and that's where they used to keep their valuables was attached to that. Well, he's talking about this stake being driven into him. It's not a little thorn that you have from a rose bush. This is a real stake in his side. That was given to him. That was driven into him. It was driven into him to get his attention. Frankly, in the early days of Christianity, was what they used to use to martyr the first of Christians was to use those kinds of stakes. It was significant it was significant in nature and it was significant in affliction. What kept Paul from exalting himself? It was this thorn in the flesh. He was given a thorn in the flesh. Some kind of affliction. It's never told to us exactly what it is. It's interesting the way God does those kinds of things. It doesn't tell us exactly what it is. Was it a personal relationship? I heard one pastor who likes to joke a lot say that it was his mother-in-law but I, I don't wouldn't believe that at all because my mother-in-law was never like that um, right here honey she was never like that it's a personal relationship maybe it was a physical malady some folks say it was affliction to his eyes or something like that what, whatever it was it was something that was significant speculation is all over the place what was the affliction? But I personally believe, and this is my own belief, Paul was afflicted by something that was communicated. Somebody that was harassing him in his preaching. Somebody who was harassing him in his ministry. Why do I believe that? Because it says here, and, and I could you know, say that it was a Christian blogger who was doing it, but they didn't have them then. But it could be that person, because why? It's a messenger of Satan. Satan was given permission by God to do that. Because Satan can't do anything without God's permission. Can he? Well, let's look at Job chapter 1. We see where, where in Job chapter 1, Satan has to be given permission to afflict Job. 
So Job doesn't do, I mean, God doesn't uh, allow Satan to do anything for no reason at all. There's a reason in it. And so in Job chapter 1 verse 6, um, it says there, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. The sons of God were the angels. And Satan, who was previously an angel, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. He wanted him to consider him. Here is probably the most holy man on the earth. And God is wanting Satan to take a look at him. And then what does he do? He gives him permission to begin to afflict him. So when we as Christians say, oh, but I go to church. I go to a good church. I read my Bible. I pray. I do all of these things. I give to missions. I do all of these things. Why is God doing this to me? You've got to be as good as Job and still receive the affliction. Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. Job, Satan is pointing out, Job's been protected by you. Frankly, I sometimes think that some of the people with the most afflictions are the ones that God is trying to use as an example to, to Satan and his demons that they still follow after the Lord. So Satan is given permission from God to afflict Paul. That's what happened here. The affliction came from the Lord in a sense. So the first step is the description of the trial. The step two is Paul's desire to remove the trial. We see that in chapter 12, verse 8. It says there, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that he might, that it might leave me. What does he want to leave? The thorn in the flesh, that stake in the side, that messenger of Satan. The thorn or stake was given by God to keep Paul from exalting himself. There's a reason for it. Man loves to make himself first. Loves to be out there prominent, seen by everybody, accepted by everybody. That's what is happening here. Three times Paul asked the Lord to remove this affliction. Three times he enters the throne room of grace. There is no for an answer. Each time as he knocks on the door to heaven and says, God, please help me, no. Folks, I ask the question, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there with that kind of an affliction, that kind of tragedy, that kind of problem where you have gone to the Lord and you've asked him? Have you ever begged for mercy? Well, Matthew chapter 7, you don't need to turn there. Verses 7 and 8, Jesus instructs us on how to pray. It makes it very simple on how we're supposed to pray. It says, asking you it will be given to you, seeking you will find, knocking it will be given to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who find, seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Well, this is exactly what Paul is doing here. This is exactly what we do when we're in the midst of a trial. Why is he not listening? Why is he not giving? This prayer says that it will be given and you will find it. It'll be open to you. Paul prayed that kind of prayer. I know he did. In order to remove that affliction. And God said no. The question is what's wrong? What is God trying to prove here? Is Paul not holy enough? Is Paul not in the will of God? And, and folks, when I do counseling, I have people coming in my office asking me that question. They've been afflicted with various things that are going on and they're saying, am I not a Christian? Well, I, I can't prove that they are or they aren't. I can only look at fruit. But they ask that, what's wrong with me? Why does this keep happening? Why can't I get a job? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? They ask, am I not holy enough? Am I not in the will of God? 
I've had some people even come to me to tell me that others have said to them, you must be in some kind of sin and that's why God is doing this to you. Do you think you only get affliction when you're in sin? Well, Job wasn't in sin. I don't believe Paul was in sin here. They wonder at times why they are not relieved of the pain. Why, God, are you doing this? Why me? Friends, there is nothing wrong. God has a purpose in the affliction for Paul. God has a purpose in not answering our prayer the way we want it answered. I've got a lot of young people in my Sunday school class, 20s, 30s, I've even got some to the 40s. They're still single. And some of them come to me and say, why isn't God giving me somebody to marry? I say, well, there's a lot of single people in the group. Why don't you start going to get to know them? And they still come back. Why isn't God bringing anybody to me? I said, I don't know why God isn't doing that. Maybe you haven't found the right person yet. Maybe it's down the road. Is there anything wrong with them? Are they in sin? God has a purpose in each believer's life. Whatever that is, he has a purpose. The first step is the description of the trial. The second step is the desire to remove the trial. Now, the third step is a picture of God's decision to display grace. And I love this. And we need to embrace this, folks. You need to understand this is where we need to get to. When we have that trial come to us, we may not initially accept it and want it, but once we have it, we must say, okay, Lord, thank you. What am I to learn through this? What am I to teach others through this? How am I to give you glory through this? And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and it says this, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Wow. Accepting that pain, accepting that disappointment, whatever it may be. Paul is explaining a great discovery here. It sends Paul into the exaltation of God. Thank you for this. It's just what I needed. Just what I needed. Paul explains how he is now content. He's content in the weaknesses that this thorn is producing. Why? Because in Paul's weaknesses, God then begins to display his perfect, sufficient grace to Paul. That which is the, the greatest challenge in, in our abilities, this is God's opportunity. God's grace. This grace is that which has enabled the apostle to endure with gladness the thorn. This grace is that which the, thor the Lord will receive Paul but not take it away. He'll, he'll accept his um, uh, communication but at the same time will not take away that affliction. What's the answer to the dilemma? My grace is sufficient. You know, as a counselor, I can say that to people. But so often they don't want to believe it. They want to say there's something wrong here. You know what? God gave me the wrong husband. God gave me the wrong um, wife. That's what's wrong here. That's what they want to do. They don't want to say I can accept that. They don't want to accept that, that God is sufficient here. That yes, you have this trial. You have this, this situation. I'm going to cover it with my grace. And they don't want to accept it. Folks, this is in the present tense here, meaning that it is adequate. It is completely adequate. His power is made perfect. Again, it's in the perfect tense. It means it's a complete, perfect, powerful, and adequate for you. It is grace that is efficient, and it's grace that does not end. The thorn is still there. Paul continues to be afflicted, but God's grace, his grace is sufficient. God's merciful kindness is displayed in his power. That is the power of Christ that dwells in Paul. 
that lady that I spoke of earlier began to understand. Began to understand that God has a grace for all situation. That was calming to her. That raging heart that she had, a grace that, that could heal the greatest of the problems that we have, which is separation from God, can also take care of the smaller things, and I'm going to say it, the smaller things of losing a child. The greater problem you have is your separation from God. The grace that we receive is a, a grace that saves dead sinners. Friends, in Paul's situation here, the text does not tell us what that affliction is. And I believe that God had a purpose in not telling us exactly what that affliction was. If we knew what that affliction was, then we could say when we have an affliction, well, it's not exactly like that. And so we could try to get out of it. No, he doesn't. He leaves it nebulous for us. But we know it was an affliction. But it had a godly purpose. If we knew that the affliction was, then we could say, mine is not exactly like it. We could use an excuse. But God's uh, grace is sufficient for everything. Charis is the word there for grace. As we know, it is God's undeserved favor. It is something that only believers can understand. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't understand grace. Because sitting in this auditorium are a bunch of sinners. Sinners that have been saved by grace. That have recognized their inability to make it to heaven that they needed God's um, saving grace through Jesus Christ. This grace that we are granted at salvation continues in this journey that we have in this life as believers. So many people have said to me, but why doesn't he just save us and take us home? No, he then uses us here on the earth. God uses that grace to help sanctify us. Believers understand the incredible mercy of God that has been stowed on them. That has been bestowed on them. Where does Jesus Christ get his incredible power to forgive the sins of others? He gets it from his choice when he chooses to do that. He does it in the weakness of our flesh going to the cross. This grace that is given by, great, by God is the only endowment of renewable power. I know everybody's talking about renewable power these days, you know, wind machines and all these other things. This is the only renewable power that actually gives power. Grace is truly renewable power. There is a constant supply of this power. Now, if you're a believer, you have seen that constant supply. It's given over and over and over again. Paul is excited here folks in this verse he gets very excited in this verse he said this in verse 9 he said I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me thank you God for bringing this that's basically what he's saying here I'm weak but I have now Christ on my side Paul's excited about Christ because Christ does what listen to this he may dwell in me in other words, you could put this a different way. He pitches his tent with me. He's getting in the tent with him. He's dwelling with him. Folks, that's what the saints of Jesus Christ know. That God has sent his son to pitch his tent with us. Paul is relieved here of the thorn. Not by its removal. It wasn't taken away but by the affirmation of a continuing abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That's more important. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul's expectation is that the power of Christ may dwell in me. In another portion of scripture, Paul even brings this up and, and speaks about it and prays about it. You don't need to turn there, but just listen. It, and this is in Ephesians chapter 3. I love this, what Paul says there. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. He, he's asking that they don't take 
just because he's being has tribulations, don't don't be worried about those things. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. That's how we're strengthened, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? Folks, this is an intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is a relationship that you've never ever experienced. This, this is a, uh, an incredible God-empowered relationship. When I do counseling, I can never guarantee the removal of the temptation or the affliction or I can never guarantee a good marriage. Although I'd love it to be a good marriage, I can't guarantee it. However, I can guarantee that dependence upon Christ and dependence upon his sufficient grace can carry the counselee through that bad marriage, can carry the counselee through that affliction or through that temptation. That I can guarantee if they're willing to depend upon Jesus Christ. Paul understands that abiding, that an abiding relationship with Jesus is much more important than relief. Did you get that? It's much more important than relief, that abiding relationship with Christ. Yes, an abiding intimate relationship with the Savior is more significant than the removal of the pain or the affliction. He is sufficient for all things. When the afflicted begin to recognize the grace of God in that affliction, grace establishes a response of faith. I believe. Faith is what uh, is all that God is trying to accomplish through the affliction. That thorn, that thorn is actually a gift. You say, my not being able to make enough money is a gift. Yes. There are opportunities. You've got to look for them. That, that opportunity in your marriage that you aren't exactly as happy as you'd like to be, that's an opportunity through faith to trust God in his grace. Friends, for Doris, who came to my office, she realizes that the only answer to her heart-wrenching situation was to have confidence in the fact that only God knew the reason why. And that because God knew the reason why, she could depend upon him. Because he's the one who orchestrated even that. That God had a purpose. That God gave her a friend who would bring her to a pastor who would speak the truth. I then found out that Doris had been to many, many, many different people. Not within our church, but many, many different kinds of uh, Wisdom, let's say. Maybe people who are in some kind of ministry, counselors or whatever. And she said, you're the only one who made it plain and straight. They all tried to make excuses. Folks, we don't make excuses for God. We see that his grace is sufficient for us. But Paul, as usual, doesn't stop there. In verse 10, he says this, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. One of the reasons why I believe it was somebody that was speaking out against Paul, uh, maybe even publishing things, I don't know, but they were speaking out against Paul, was because of this, with insults with distresses. There actually was somebody who was speaking against him in those areas. Persecutions, these difficulties, because those are going to cause difficulties. People may no longer like Paul because of what this person says. It's a lie, but they don't like Paul anymore. And so that's why I believe that it was some kind of a verbal attack. Paul is content. And we see that in Philippians 4. He's content with little and he's content with much. He's content even in having this affliction. Paul is at peace, even in the insults and distresses of life. 
knowing that his Lord and Savior is in his corner. I, I hope you have that. I hope you realize that as a believer, he's there for you. He's not against you. Yeah, the flat tire you may have when you get out of here today. By the way, I didn't flatten any tires. That was brought by God for your good. Whatever it is. And I don't, hopefully there's no flat tires out there. Knowing that God sent his precious beloved son for your sins is enough. I mean, for me, that's all I need. Because I know I don't deserve to be saved. I know I deserve the hottest of hells. As a matter of fact, I usually give the expression of being on the bullet train to hell. That's where I was. And if you've ever been on a bullet train, you know how fast it is. But he saved me. Grabbed me out of the pit of hell. And brought me to himself. Paul is at peace knowing that God sent his precious beloved son for him, for his sins. As you grow in your relationship with the Almighty, and I do think this is a growth opportunity, please have the perspective that God is the answer to life's trials. It's not some quick, easy way. It's not through prosperity gospel or anything like that. He is the only way. He is the answer to your trials. He is the answer to your tribulations, no matter what they are. That God in his words will help you to endure the situation. Matter of fact, some of you can even say he's called me to this purpose, as Paul did. Suffering with grace depends, uh, happens in three steps. The description of the trial, the desire to remove the trial, and then the decision to display God's grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the trials of life, the, the difficulties of life. It's so hard to believe that there would be difficulties up here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's so beautiful. But Lord, I, I know people. I know people because I deal with them on a daily basis. They have the various problems of life, the vicissitudes of life, the, the pains of life, the disappointments of life. I pray even through the smallest of disappointments, they can look to you and see that you have the answer, Lord, that you will grow them Lord, and that they, you will bring them to the next trial and continue to grow them in the grace and sufficiency of your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you very much. Please stand if you can and we'll respond to that. Sing how I'm firm a foundation. Fear not, fear not, I am with you, won't be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen and help you and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand.
when through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with you your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you, I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus shall lean for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That so, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Lord God, we are so thankful for that truth today. We're thankful for Jesus, Lord, and we know that uh, your grace through him is sufficient for us in our trials. Um, and we should, we should be grateful uh, for you and what you've done for us in, in all things, both good and bad, in our lives, Lord. Help us to just um, apply that truth to our lives this week as we go out. Thank you for today. And thank, for, thank you for your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, if you are going through a trial, if you need to be saved, please find uh, Colby or Matt or myself or somebody else who's one of the members here at Cornerstone. We'd love the chance to pray for you. And Bill, thank you for the encouraging message today. Um, let me leave you with this benediction from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. With that, you're dismissed. Thank you.